Hello guys, Jack here from Jack Makes Happy Hour podcast. And yes, the rumours are true. We're heading back out on tour in May 2024. 68% of the tickets are already sold out, but there are still a few left at Edinburgh, Newcastle, Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds, Cardiff, Sheffield, Nottingham, Bristol, Bury, and our home city of Norwich. So don't waste any time. Grab your tickets today and come and watch me, Alfie and Robbie live. And me. Mainly me, Alfie and Robbie, though, isn't it? Yeah. Happyhourlive.co.uk. See you in May. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. guys and welcome back to jack mates happy hour podcast i'm sat here with the same stinky old man to my left why am i stinky that boy in the cinema called you, in the theater called you a stinky yeah but boy, saying it? it in front of guests makes no sense yes. we've got jason coon on the show today one of the world's greatest poker players jason hey you met stevie when you come in did he did he smell i didn't i didn't catch a whiff thank you <laughs> well that's not necessarily a positive is it <laughs> you smell delightful by the way thank you what's that cologne Nothing, man. My wife got me off the cologne years ago. Really? Yeah, we're El Natural. Well, I still wear deodorant, but I'm I'm not doing the spritzers. Anymore. Are you not? No. It's a natural musk. I was a big like musk guy back in the day too. I had all of them, you know, the really? 25 year old with the display of all the different colognes, but not anymore. I had to get. Wow, it's working for you, Chase. Thank you. It's working for you. Now, is it fair to call? In the intro, I called you one of the greatest poker players of all time. Do you accept that? It's one of those things where I don't know if that's the case. My career has been kind of put my head down and focus and just do work. And then you look up and you're like, oh, my God, this has almost been two decades. And, you know, I hear that a lot anymore. And I I take praise in, you know, uh, odd ways. I, I, I don't really know what to what to say about it, but I I appreciate people saying it. Mm, well. Uh, Stevie, we we play poker. For, what's the buy-ins when we play? About thirty quid. Thirty pounds, and sometimes we're like, maybe that's a bit too much. We'll do twenty this week. Jason, yeah. um, you are the fifth. Uh, you're fifth on the all-time money list. From- yep. <laughs> <laughs> Is that well, more than thirty pound or it's a couple, a couple pounds? Yeah, forty-nine million. 49 million. We're going to delve into that a bit, little bit later wow. on. Wow. Um, so thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to come here. Thanks. What brings you to England? I'm here playing the Triton Poker Series uh, Super High Roller Tournaments. Um, it's it's nuts because these guys, you play poker all day, and then they say, let's go play cash games at another casino. So you don't really sleep. You play tournaments in the morning until you bag at 9 p.m., and then you head to the poker club and you play cash games until you can't hold your head up anymore. And then you go to sleep. It's really degenerate stuff. <laughs> How much sleep have you had? Last well, time? I've been sleeping pretty well because I'm doing my best. Back in the day, whenever mm. 
it was all about collecting every single dollar I could. I, w- I would just come on these stops and I would just blow it out and I'd go home and just be a zombie for two weeks. But anymore, I play a lot less often and I care about my health, my mental health, my physical health a lot more than I used to. And the dollars are just worth less to me now. So I, I've been sleeping more. But last night I played till four in the morning and I played tournaments all day. So it was vintage, vintage me last night. Wow. 4 a.m. Did it go well? It went well. Yeah, we got them. Got them pretty good. Uh, there was one recreational player in the game who uh, won an ungodly amount of money. And it was hilarious because he had just a, a wall of chips. And all of the people that were supposed to win didn't. And they were all shook, you know. <laughs> and this guy's just slamming whiskeys. And, and he's got his shirt unbuttoned to his belly button. And he's just all in every hand. So it was a really, it was a sight to see. When you say recreational player, would, uh, would I come under that? Uh, yeah, but there's levels? but there's different degrees because a lot of these guys they play for recreation, but they play every day, mm. so they're very good, you know. Right. But they're but it's not their main source of income or a source of, of income at all. Right. Okay. Well, it's not had much sleep, but you've got an americano there, which yeah. I've got to say is the most on-brand coffee for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't even think about it when I asked you to order that for me, and you responded on brand. I said, "Oh shit, I'm like a cliche. I really am like a, <laughs> like an American cliche. I'm like the like." overly positive like let's do better guy you know <laughs> you're self-aware of yeah that no about no you. It, it is and like in the poker world too it's like most people in the poker world are the opposite of that so i realize they look at me and they're like how is this guy winning money like i hate this guy this is the guy that was in my high school that still talks about being the quarterback on the football team you know 20 years ago i'm kind of that guy and i just embrace it that's just me you know i love it jace now we always start with the same question for every single guest. Imagine okay. a magical, mystical place far, far away called the Happy Hour Hall of Fame. Okay. I imagine it'll be bright yellow. Me and Stevie will be there serving you martinis for eternity. Mm. You can submit one item to this Hall of Fame that will be forever immortalized there. Okay. Something that means something to you. It can be a place, a person, a thing, a feeling, an object. What are you submitting, Jason Kuhn? Okay. Um, this is a really great question, by the way. Thank I like you. this. Um, I had this image in my head oftentimes my life is really chaotic and sometimes um whether it be like a gigantic stakes poker tournament or a huge situation in a cash game or just something tough i'm dealing with in my life there was a place i went maybe 300 days a year as a kid where there was a little meandering stream and a culvert and i had two dogs lived in like a little farmhouse and i would get my fishing rods and i would walk to this place and i would just sit there by myself like seven in the morning uh, and I would see like the fog coming off of the water in this little stream and I would just fish, catch, catch fish some days, some days I wouldn't catch anything, but I just remember feeling stillness, you know, and the one thing that I don't really get anymore is stillness is calm. So I, I'll, I'll be going into a big final table or I'll just ha- have had a shitty day and I lay my head on my pillow and I, oftentimes I just see myself sitting on that culvert with the water going through the tunnel and seeing my dogs running around. So I, I would say like a mural of that or just a little image of, you know, that lake that I would sit wow. at. What an answer that is. That's a lovely answer. We, there's, there's a, we always use the example, Chris Stark, he's a friend of ours. He does a, a radio show over here and uh, he put in meat thermometers. <laughs> so it's a bit of a contrast. <laughs> I love it. It's something poetic in that as well. Like you, you started off catching fish. Now you're at a poker table. (laughs) Still still catching some fish. I love it. You can actually, you don't have to put the mural in. We're going to put the whole 
the whole place. In. The place is going okay. in. Yeah, the whole Amazing. place. Amazing. I hope you can visit it one day. Oh, mate, I love it. I love it. Now, Stevie, we've got some quick get-to-know questions. I know as well we should address some of our audience might not enjoy poker, might not know about the game. Yeah. Jason's one of the top dogs. We're going to be talking about the game, but not in its intricacies. We're just going to be talking about some of the crazy moments you've had in sure. Vegas and poker tables and whatnot. So you don't necessarily need to be a massive poker fan to enjoy this app. But that said, let's uh, let's get to some get-to-know questions. The man behind the poker table, kick us off. Jason, what's the most unusual app on your phone? Most unusual app? Man, I have some really weird ones. <laughs> Whack uh, it out. Yeah, like... Um, I guess it's not unusual to have the sky guides and all that stuff. But I, I have some like strange like biometric apps like that track weird things about my body, whether it be like my blood glucose or like how my blood pressure has gone over the course. So I'd say like some keeping track on the internals of my body uh, is a big one, especially when you put yourself through so I, much. I think, this, I think it's quite normal. I think uh, you're, you're in good you're in good shape. I, 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 when you walked in, I was like, this is a guy who has apps about his body on his phone. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't expect us to have those apps. No, no. Burger King. <laughs> what's what's Sky Guides? You mentioned that. Oh, so one cool thing about Vegas is if you live on the out the out outers of Vegas, you get beautiful uh, starry skies at night. So I'll just have my phone up trying to see which constellations are out there. Oh. So I'm okay. really into that, you know. I genuinely thought he meant TV channels. <laughs> yeah, I did. What's on Sky? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You guys have like Sky, uh, Sky Sports. And yeah, all that's that. what I thought you were going. Yeah, yeah, but the guides yeah, for the TV is like, going, yeah, okay. Oh, uh, by the way, I've noticed that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Brits are like really into like vintage American uh, sitcoms. Like, yes. I've noticed, like, just random, like, early 90s, late 80s American sitcoms running all through. They Yeah, they love it. Like, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Um, Always Sunny's huge over here. Yeah. Like, all all of those. Our, our friend Alfie, sometimes on the show, he he lives off them, doesn't he? Yeah. Do you like British sitcoms? Um, I've only seen a few. Uh, and I really liked the, uh, what's the one with Idris Alba? I love that one, where he was the, uh, well, it's not a sitcom. It's, a, it's like a, a suspense murder mystery. Luther? Yeah, love Luther, that. Yeah, that Luther's great. Awesome. Never seen it. Yeah, you wouldn't have what? Too, Never seen it's it. too much for him. You haven't I'm seen not, Luther? I've not seen much in Bro. life. Yeah, really. well, that one's worth it. Really? Yeah, Luther's you, good. It's like action, though, and you don't like action. No. It's very stressful. I'm very fussy. Jason, what's your biggest phobia? Um, I am afraid of spiders. I hate spiders, and there's black widows and scorpions all through Vegas, and it just gives me that. Is that? Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. I would not have gone. Bro, they're everywhere. The scorpions and the spiders are everywhere in Vegas. Rattlesnakes, but really the spiders are the ones that get me. Yeah, but they're not like in hotels and stuff, are they? Probably not in the hotels, but they're all through the homes. Yeah, for sure. I see a scorpion probably once every two weeks. No way. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening when you're at home? You've got to get a spider out of the house. Who's dealing with that? I got to do it. You know, I got to <laughs> pretend to. I'm just. <laughs> What's your technique? Are you glass? Stomp, stomp. Just kill it. Just Straight stomp. for the dead. Yeah. Yeah. And I've really gotten soft in my old age. Like a couple of weeks ago, my oldest son, who's 22 months old, we're out in the pool and uh, he's obsessed with the pool. And a bee gets in his diaper and it stings him. Oh, no. And. Uh, yeah, and he and he's you know, but he's more like into showing me. He's like, "Daddy, be stung, be stung." And then 
for hours, he just has me power washing our back patio. So every time we saw a bee, he's like, Daddy, power wash the bee. <laughs> and I'm just like, ah, you know, just smoking these bees. And back in the day, I would have thought much about it. But I was like getting cut. I was like, man, I feel bad. I'm what blowing the bees. I, you know, like pave paradise and put up a parking lot. You know, those songs where it's like, don't kill the bees. And I'm out here power washing. You're protecting but your son. Like, yeah, you sting my son. I'll kill every bee on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of that. The final scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Have you seen oh, that? my God, dude. That is an all time scene. Comes out of the shed. I love it. Do you believe in ghosts? Um, so this is a, this goes way back with me. Um, one of the most terrifying things that I had ever heard as like a four-year-old, I don't know why my mom told me this. She told me whenever I was a girl, there was a gusty windy night and the windows flew open and a ghost came in the room and was like over top of me. And I'm just like, what the fuck? This happened to your mom? Yeah, that's what she's telling me, you know? And I'm saying, like, one, even if this did happen, like, I'm four. <laughs> like, what are you trying to do to me here? You know? So, like, um, so I have, I've never run into that dude, luckily. Um, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't say a hard no, but I, I'm going to, for my own peace of mind, say I, I, I hope there aren't. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, always, I always have this theory, which I probably shouldn't bring up in front of guests, but Henry VIII. Okay. Why? Stop doing this. Whenever you see articles about ghosts, it's always Henry the No, it isn't. <laughs> it isn't. Like a big fat fella, like just walking about, or like an old king or something. You never see a ghost of like just your mate or just like your random average guys in the street. Mm. It's always the ghost of Elvis Presley was seen on CCTV. Oh, yeah. It's like, what about June who lives in the shop down the road? Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not too... I don't know what I'm saying, Jason, was, to be honest. Was your mum's ghost Henry VIII or... No, no, huh? I don't think so. It was mm-hmm. more like a typical like American creep, I think. There you go. Oh, wow. There he is. They are out there. <laughs> yeah. There we go. What's the greatest holiday destination? I imagine you've seen some pretty cool places. Man, I, yeah, I've been to some really great places. Um, it, it's more like a seasonal thing for me lately. I've really just been into alpine kind of lakes. And there's Lake Tahoe, which is an hour from Vegas. It's just unbelievable. It's 1,600 feet deep, crystal clear. It's 100 foot visibility wow so it's like you're in the caribbean almost but you're at a lake um so really into that we have this little triangle that we that we love uh so we have an hour flight to lake tahoe and then if we miss the beach uh san diego just has some epic little beach towns that you feel like you're in like a beach boys song where it's you know the vw vans going down the street and everybody like the 40 year old people that all look beautiful carrying their surfboards and you know they do it every day and you're like is anyone employed here yeah they're not (laughs) um yeah so like that little scene Mm. is is what uh we're into it's not too far away from where you live is it yeah so maybe that's like you know i've been to a lot of exotic beautiful places Mm. that like if i could snap my fingers and be there Mm. that'd be great but the traveling especially now with two kids it's like for me if if i'm talking about a perfect travel destination a lot of it's just getting there quickly right right check out great yarmouth don't, That's all I'm going to say to you. Just don't. All we're, we're from a little city in England called Norwich. Mm, okay. And we've got um, a coastal line along the edge. And Great Yarmouth is one of these towns. And it's not, it's not there, nice. The, there's the, it's called Great Yarmouth. There's the word great in it. No, it's just loads of little arcades, like well, 2P machine casinos and stuff. And it's not very nice. For the people out there that have been to Great Yarmouth, Jason Coon on the snails. 
It's not going to happen. Okay, we'll move not on. Not going to happen. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. What we got? If you had to get a tattoo right now, what would you get and why? Mm. Do you have That's any good one. I, I used to. I had one removed. Um, yeah, I was like, I had one the, basically the day I turned 18. One right. of the stories, you know. And what did was you get? Like, Hold up. I, I'm not the the American rapper Nelly. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I have a tattoo on my stomach? It doesn't say thug life, but kind of looks like it. You know? And the plaster on the cheek. <laughs> yeah. So I had that one removed. Um, but I, I would definitely, I'm into sleeves. I'm very into sleeves. Like I, I always think, um, my mom is a, is a painter and, you know, and I've always been surrounded by art and I, I love tattoos. I, I, so I could definitely just full blown, do a sleeve one day, but I don't know what it would be. Maybe, Mural of my experiences, probably. Or get your mum to paint paint you the, the sleeve. I don't think she's got that kind of skill. She's pretty good, but <laughs> I'd have to go to like, you know. I see some of these these tats now on Instagram, these Japanese dudes doing these ones. It's like you move your arm and the thing oh, comes incredible. to light. Yeah. It's nuts. Shit like that. It's nuts. Maybe you could get one of your mum with a ghost. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, before we get into questions actually about you, okay. who is your hero? Oh man, um, that's great. My wife. Oh, that's a nice. Yeah, one. she saved me in a lot of ways. I don't want to be all emo, but like, um, I was on a uh, a destination for a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of trouble, and she was basically like, "Hey, man, like, I think you you could be a good guy, but I can't, I can't be around someone like you because you don't have your shit together." And she kind of led me to uh, a point where I'm at ease with who I am, and that was. My great struggle for 30 years. That's a lovely answer. Thanks. It's a lovely answer. Oh, I, I said Mark Noble, the West Ham football player. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're also my hero, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jason, you grew up in um, a place called Weston, West Virginia. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Tell us a bit about that. So we're from a place called Norwich. Okay. Have you, have you, are you familiar with Norwich? No. Well, how would you describe Norwich. It's a it's a major city, but it's small, quiet. No, I'm talking like what are we old. For? Oh, mustard, mustard. We yeah, got, we got good mustard. Well, that sounds great. Um, Canaries football team. The the, the 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 football team's about the little yellow birds, and uh, then we've got uh, Alan Partridge. Are you familiar with the comedian Alan Partridge? Nope. Okay, so we're not known for much. Okay. <laughs> What's Western known for? What's West Virginia known for? Okay, so West Virginia would be known for. Um, it's one of the poorest states in in America, and it's just known for its coal mines. Um, so it's kind of a flourishing place in the 1800s, but just once that industry kind of fell behind, um, it's, it hasn't had much going on, and not much has changed in the last 50 years. Right. Um, specifically where I'm from, Weston is, I think, a town of a couple thousand people, and the only thing that it would be known for at all was – it has this, I think it's the oldest hand-cut stone uh, building in the United States, or I, I could be wrong about that, but it's something to that that nature, but it's a an insane asylum is what it was. So wow. so they do like reality, like ghost hunting TV shows where they go through this old insane asylum. And, I like it. Yeah, and that, that'd be the only thing. It was Have like, they ever invited you on? It's like a celebrity special. No, I, 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 I'm good. Uh, like I said, I'm good on the ghosts. <laughs> I'm, I'm good on doing creepy stuff. I, I tried to break into that thing when I was a kid. and You'd rather just avoid it completely if you could. Yeah, I actually I like going back to my hometown because, believe it or not, no one knows who I am. So it's, it's really funny. In Vegas, like there's a lot of poker players. There's a lot of people that are into that scene. A lot of people in Vegas will say hi, you know, whatever. I go back to Weston. Literally no one. Really? If I didn't go to high school with him, like, 
But you're like a, you're like a, su- a success story from that from that town. Yeah, but it's just it's disconnected. You know, it's just uh, I I think it's a it's a town that's very into what's happening in that town, and they're not really concerned with the rest of the world. It's uh, you know wow. it's a closed off kind of little community for better or worse. I thought there'd be like a statue of you or something. Nope, no <laughs> statues. I hope none will ever exist. <laughs> You're a humble guy. Talking about that insane asylum, we had a series on this podcast where we did 52 story, 50 stories from each of the American states okay. about urban legends. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with urban mm-hmm. legends? Do you know what the urban legend is from West Virginia? The uh, the one where the bridge collapsed, the Mothman yeah. Mothman. Yeah. You Wheeling, think? West Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Is that quite big over there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That That's a, it's definitely a big one. What is it? It's basically like a six, seven foot tall creature. That's right. That's like human, but mo- got big moth wings. Mm-hmm. And I think it was started in like the 60s yep. where there was like a couple driving and they're adamant they were being chased down by this giant moth, essentially. Right. But then it's just been one of those over time. Like, oh, I've spotted the mothman. There's a statue, isn't there, of the mothman? I think there is. Yeah. So, so, so a, how's Mothman got a statue, but Jason Coons not? I don't know, man. He's taller. <laughs> Mothman wanted it. Yo, speaking of taller, okay, yeah. I'm 5'10". I'm a poker player. Mm-hmm. I was never a basketball player. Mm-hmm. But three times a year, some dude will walk up to me. It happened to me in Milan. I was in Milan a couple weeks ago. Some dude walks up to me and he goes, I have shades on too. And he's like, uh, so Jason Coon? I'm like, yeah, hey, man. And he's like, I thought you'd be taller. <laughs> I'm just like, bro, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know where people are like thought I was six, five, but like, I, so you're not sure. You're not yeah. Sure. I'm just a dude, you know? Yeah. But it's like three times a year. Some dude walks up to me. Hey man, I thought you'd be bigger. <laughs> All right. That could just be them. <laughs> I thought you'd be richer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's their insecurity, isn't it? It's yeah. Great. Going, they're probably going in there and going, yeah, he's got a lot of money, but he's shorter than I thought. Yeah, so yeah. I'm winning, really. Blow me out every time. All right. <laughs> nice to meet you, guy. You mentioned there, um, not a basketball player, but I, did I read online that you were a keen basketball player before poker, or have I got that wrong? I was a sprinter. Um, of, yeah, I was very... So I was an American football player, uh, pretty good. And I was very good for the area for sprinting. And I went to university to run track. Um, so that was, that was my thing. I was very, very into that and I'm still into it. I, I like to run. It's like uh nostalgic. I like to get on a track and just let it rip. Really? Yeah. What, what, what position were you in, in American football? I was a wide receiver and a cornerback. So the guy that covers the wide receivers. Uh, okay. so defensive back. Okay. Are yeah. you still into it now? No. I mean, the thing is, is I love all sports. Mm. Um, but I just don't watch them avidly because I'm busy still trying to be good at my craft and I think you've done that mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, that one off. yeah, but it's, it's one of those things that you can, you need to continually learn. You know, it's not really like riding a bike. It's, you can get rusty quick. Like your intuition will stay sharp, but it's a game that everyone's improving at rapidly. So mm-hmm. you have to stay on top of it. Do you, do you know much about, and, and, and for all of our regular listeners out there, I'm apo- I apologize for what I'm about to say. <clears throat> do you know much about soccer? Um, well, I've, been trying to learn more because my two-year-old is really into it and my buddy bought a spanish uh soccer team and i bought a very small percent of it just to root him on wow um which team can you say 
Yeah, it's I, I can't even pronounce it right because it's Spanish and I'm a redneck from West Virginia, <laughs> but it's um, CD and then it's uh, Castel, Castellon or Castellon, uh, C-A-S-T. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 CD Castellon. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So which, which league are they in? So somehow I own a piece of that team. Uh, <laughs> but, I just, yeah, I just own a soccer yeah, team. Go, yeah. go team. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did pretty good last year. So where does it say the league, Stevie? Oh, this one. We okay. almost went up. Premier whatever the tier. yeah. Oh, so whatever tier. the next, whatever the second tier is, yeah. we were one like goal away from going up to that. Oh, oh yeah. really? Yeah, in the last game of the season. So oh, so okay. So they're in the they're in the third tier of the Spanish football league. Yeah, this, and then obviously the top league there is La Liga with yeah. Real Madrid and Barcelona. Yeah, so we almost went to the second one. It was pretty dope. Wow. What yeah. made your friend choose them? He, uh, this guy is just a he's an unbelievable analytics guy. And he probably saw something where he thought he could spin it up and turn them into a great club. Before that, he was a, um, a kind of a ghost general manager for the Dallas Mavericks, which is an American uh, basketball team. And uh, yeah, he's just a he's a freak. He was a great sports better, just really smart guy. So I'm sure that there's a method to his madness. Well, if you if your friends listen to this, or maybe you could pass on a message, there's a, there's a team over in London called, okay. called West Ham United. Okay. Oh, we know West Ham, I think. So much potential, <laughs> just need a little bit of investment. Okay. <laughs> okay. We just lost our best player for 105 million. So. Oh no. That yeah. sounds like investment though. You've just got 105 but million. We've not, we've not recruited anyone. We've not bought anyone. Do you have an English team? I uh, no, no. I don't. You're going to try and force West Ham. West Ham. Huh? Can, we we re- can we? Can I recruit you right now? You, you got it, bro. It's a West Ham. I'm player. with you guys. I'll take you to a West Ham game okay. one time. I'm in. Love sure. it. And and you can give me an NFL team. Okay. Uh. Well, I'm going to give you the Las Vegas Raiders, man. There we go. Yeah. There we go. I was originally a Dallas Cowboys fan. Okay. But I say that because it's the only game I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. So I can easily. Swap. Go to Vegas because you're in Vegas all the time. Mm-hmm. We'll go to games. There we go. Yeah. I love it. Now, Jason, what were you like at school? Because obviously we now know you're one of the world's best poker players. Yeah. So if you think back to when you was back at school, were there any sort of signs before you got into poker that maybe lent itself to the poker world? Were you good at math? Um, the thing was, I was the first person in my family to go to university. Um, I The only thing that I really received praise for as a kid was being tough and athletic. So I didn't value school, but school was always easy for me. All of it was. Um, you know, I was one of those kids that kind of kept a, um, like an A minus grade point average without doing anything. And I tested high on like for, for the area, not for like, you know, if, if I was from a, a rich part of the country, my my graduate tests would probably be very average. But I tested really, really high for where I was from. Um, so I think I, I had high aptitude, but I was never pushed. Right. Um, and so... I was a, a slightly above average student in university. I was a very, very good student, straight A's until I found poker. And then I did finish and get it. I got a master's degree in business administration, but I didn't really think about it. All I was thinking about was was poker by the time I was in university. So how, how old were you when you discovered poker? So I got hurt running track and my roommate was like, hey, you know, you don't have anything else to do. Do you want to do you want to play some poker? And I said, sure. And I played with all these like quintessential douchebag, like American football player guys. Jocks. Yeah, jocks. And they beat me. And I was like, really gave me a sour taste in my mouth. So I went to this bookstore at this local mall and I bought every poker book I could, I could find. And I read them all in like a month. And 
in about two months, everybody in my hometown was like, this guy's cheating. You know, he's like, there were a couple clubs, like a Eagles club and a rotary club where all these old dudes would play $20 buy-in games. And I just cleaned them out in a couple of months. And so I, I wasn't invited to those games anymore. So I started playing on the internet and I, I started winning pretty quickly, but it, I was just obsessed. I'd never experienced anything like it. Like the first hand that I was dealt, it was just like nothing else existed to me. The first hand. I was just like, oh my God, I think I have a gambling problem. Right from the off, like bang. Yeah, yeah, bam. And then, you know, I sucked at it in the beginning, but I learned so quickly. And I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Anything else. Like, I've been okay at things. I'm okay at video games. I'm okay at strategy games. But for poker, like, within a matter of months, I was the, like, for my area, I was the best poker player. What What do you think it is about poker that sucked you in? Um, well, I think in that moment, just the probably the negative things about it, like just being able to get lost in it and kind of forget my reality. Uh, I think I was experiencing a lot of pain in my life. And whenever I played poker, I didn't think about anything else except strategy. And then it's it's ultra competitive and it's ultra exploitative. So it's one of those things where you can, if you pay attention to everyone else's biases, you can very, very quickly find ways to attack them. Like I was really into boxing in college. And it's very similar. Like if a person's too aggressive, you play more defensive and you kind of let them set themselves up to lose. If a person's too passive, you put your foot on the gas and you attack them for being too passive. So I like that element of adjusting strategies to people. And yeah, it was just, it was amazing. So what, what year was this when you, when you first got into it? 2005. So what was the, what, what's the internet looking like then? What's the, what's the online poker? It was with? nuts. It was everything was booming. The movie Rounders came out. This guy, Chris Moneymaker, won the WSP main event in 2003. So it was like, it was the hip thing to be doing. Right. It was all over TV. You know, I'd be in the athletic training room, like getting rehab on my leg. And and I remember watching episodes on ESPN, which is kind of like Sky Sports, yeah. um, of WSOP reruns. And it was just, it was the coolest thing. Everybody was talking about it. So I got a fake ID. I went to Atlantic City, which is not close to where I'm from. It's like a seven and a half hour drive. Oh. And I would go there and I would play and I would, you know, I, I crushed. Like get all things considered, I went a thousand bucks off 200 with a fake ID, you know. <laughs> so how old are you at this point? Sorry. 20. You're 20. Yeah. Well, you have to be 21. To yeah, go in there. exactly. And you're going in there and you're just taking money from. Yeah. Like, you know, candy from like, yeah, like not. I wasn't, I wasn't like getting rich by any means, you know, because I, I remember the first time I won a thousand dollars, I was with two of my buddies and we went to a Morton steakhouse and I spent 800 bucks on dinner. I was like, <laughs> we are fucking rich. You know what I mean? Like, and then I would have no money left. But I, I won a, I won a football bet when I was 18. I put 24 teams all needed to score and I won 500 pounds and my mum went, you're taking me to Weatherspoons. Yeah. And that, if you, do you know, are you familiar with what a Weatherspoons no. is? It's like, it's like, like a buffet or something. It's, like a, it's like the <laughs> cheapest food you yeah. can find. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a total mom. So thing we've got a do. similar story. In yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, it was like that for me, but um, it wasn't just all good. You know, right. I I got beat up a lot. I I lost. I struggled. I had to find people to help me get better. It was a really really long long road. You you mentioned Chris Moneymaker winning the WSOP. Yep. Can you sort of explain that in layman's terms to us? Yes. Because that is a huge... Are you familiar with this story? No. Yeah. Isn't it what started the, the real boom? Like, yeah. So there were two things that kind of created the boom. There was an American movie called Rounders that had 
bunch of stars. The the main star was um, uh, Matt Damon, um, and there is just a loaded cast. Uh, Edward Norton, Ooh. yeah, and it's just about these these two guys playing poker in Atlantic City and and running in New York and running their money up and going to Vegas eventually. And you know, if you're a 20 year old guy and you see this, it's just kind of like rebelling against everything else that the man says to do because he's in law school and instead of finishing his JD, he's playing poker Mm -hmm. and then this guy just a dude an accountant from georgia (laughs) satellites in which means he put up like 30 bucks or 40 bucks and he got lucky to win a ten thousand dollar seat into the pinnacle poker tournament of all poker tournaments where jack and i met the world series of poker main event yeah um so he put up 30 bucks he's this huge underdog he's sitting down against all the juggernauts of poker the legends that have been in Vegas that have their cowboy hats on and their cigars. You know, this is before nerds like me kind of came into the scene. <laughs> it was like these dudes are just like either road gamblers or criminals or just like a couple sharps. Um, and this random nobody shows up and he goes through this huge field of players and he wins, I think, two and a half million bucks. Wow. Of $40. So the American dream. Yeah. You know, so it creates this. And now you see... You know, you see pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio with like an online poker site hat on and you hear about these epic Hollywood uh, games that are happening and the who's who is is just playing poker. So and then everyone around America just starts playing at their home. And that's what happened for me was these different frats or different guys would get together and just host a few tables of poker. And from that, these Internet poker sites just went from being tiny to enormous where you could if you were dedicated you could deposit money and play against hundreds of thousands of people and that's the difference between poker from like a casino game say like you're pulling slots or you're playing blackjack you're playing baccarat you're not going to win at those games Mm. ever if you are like some freak quant where you see like a flaw in a casino strategy which they're never going to make you might be able to grind out like a one percent edge or something and, and turn a small profit but with poker the only fee that you're paying is to the house for playing against other people. Mm. So if you're really, really sharp mm-hmm. and other people aren't sharp, you can overcome that fee. Mm-hmm. That fee is called the rake. So say every hand we played, the, the casino takes a dollar. But there, there is no house edge other than that dollar. So it, the rest of it is it's a skill game. It's me versus you, you versus him. Right? I'm glad you brought this up because yes. our audience, we have a very sort of open relationship with our audience. They can call us out for things they think we do wrong and yeah. we can respond to it usually on Reddit and we chat. Uh, we've had a few of our friends come on this podcast. Pieface, he's a big streamer over here. Um, he's our friend. Uh, we know him very well. And he... He had a gambling addiction. So he came on and we shared mm. his story. Yes. And a lot of people reach out to me and say, like, thanks for posting that. Really helped me with perhaps gambling addictions that they're going through. Absolutely. And then fast forward a year. And by the way, Pieface still plays poker. He's a big advocate for poker. Mm-hmm. He's binned off all of the sort of fruit machines, like the slot machines and stuff mm. like that. But he still plays poker. And yeah. I'm a big advocate for poker as well. Yeah. I work with 888 Poker. And um, I play lots of tournaments. I broadcast it everywhere. And a lot of the audience call me out for this. Yes. And, and, and they say it's hypocritical, but mm. I, and, and you feel free to tell me if you think this is wrong, but I think poker and fruit machines and betting on the football yes. and the horses, mm-hmm. completely different. Yeah. So I think I can explain this really quickly. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. So everything that you do in terms of gambling, whether it's a sports bet or playing a hand of poker, you are determining your expected value for your decision. So... If you look at a slot machine, and I'm just making up a number, but let's say you're pulling a slot machine in a casino in Vegas, they're going to let you win sometimes. Sometimes you're going to sit down, you're going to hit the jackpot. You're going to be the guy holding the check. But really what's happening is every time you pull the slot, let's say you put in a dollar, in expected value, every time you pull the slot, you get 97 cents back. So you're losing 3% every single time you pull. So even though they let some people win, you know, they are taking 3% out of the economy every single time a person pulls. Whereas in poker, you can have a positive expected value. That doesn't mean you're going to win every time you play. You take one of the best players. It doesn't matter who it is. We're going to have losing weeks, losing months, right? But if we manage our bankroll correctly and we, um, and we model how much our swings are going to be over the long run, we know if we're a winning player and our, we have a positive expectation we're going to win money. That doesn't mean it's not gambling. That doesn't mean that I can't lose. Mm. But what it means is, is it's a skill game. And even though there is a lot of variance, so that's what we're talking about, luck, short-term luck, the expected value of a poker player, a winning poker player, is going up. Whereas the expected value of a person pulling a slot machine, even though they can win big, every single pull they make is going down. So it's a skill game. It's a very, very different situation, even though they're both technically gambling. I, I guess I guess the counter argument to that, and not the side that I'm for, but the, what people may say is, well, the average player yes. is going to lose money. Like, yeah. you're Jason Coon. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to win, yes. but, but the average player is going to lose. But at but, one point, you were the average player. Exactly. Yes. So my counter is, but if that average player, they're not blindly gambling if they research the mm-hmm. game and work out the, the strategies and, and yes. stuff like that. No, that's absolutely right. Most people that play poker are going to lose. They're going to lose to the rake that they pay the house and they're going to lose to the better players. But they have control over their own destiny to some extent, 
right? Which is very, very different than sitting down and playing blackjack at a casino where you have absolute, you you are going to lose. Mm. They are going to bury you. Mm. Like in the long run, you cannot get away. And that's why if a person wins big at a casino, what do they do? They comp everything for you. They take care. Come back, you know, come <laughs> yeah. play some more with us. You know, we'll take care of your rooms. We'll fly you back here because they're going to get their money back and they know they're going to. Why do they not comp poker players on anything? Because we, <laughs> we take. Do they, do they not? They yeah. never, no. I mean, no. I mean, if you, if you pay enough buy-in fees, you might get a couple free dinners. Right. You know? But no, they're not taking care of you, you know, because you're not you're not making the money. Right. Wow. Okay. That's that's cleared it up. Um, let's go back to that. You're you're in your you're in your dorm room with your um with your housemate. Yeah. Um. Is it he? Is it yes? Yeah. So he's he's taught you poker. Mm-hmm. When's the first moment you you say you start taking money from these jocks? Yes. When's the first moment where you start to realize, well, I'm fucking really good at this. Okay. So I didn't know if I was good at it, but I knew in the beginning that. I had an aptitude for what was happening in front of me. Now, that I was constantly asking myself, like, even to the point where I first turned pro, like, are you being objective? Like, are, do you have a problem or can you actually win at this? So what I had to do was I had to start bouncing ideas off of other people that I saw winning poker. So I would just get in the chat and I would see, I would watch all the leaderboards and I would see who was winning money. And then I would just bother people and say, this is back in the AOL instant messenger days. So you're talking like (laughs) deep. I'd just be like, hey, man, you know, I see you're winning. Do you want to start chatting? And they would all ghost me, but I'd eventually make a couple friends. And then we would bounce ideas off of one another. We would read forums. And from there, you could kind of see that this this hive mind of winning players and then everyone else who was was losing. And you would kind of reiterate from there. But Mm. my big moment was I would play in this cafeteria room at my university by myself every night. I would finish my schoolwork and then I would put like a red hot chili peppers record on on loop and put my headphones on and I would just play. And I started with, you know, my little $50 roll. And one night I won 3,200 bucks. I remember like crying. I was, I was like, I finally did it. I, I played a $10 tournament. It had a thousand people in it and I won the tournament and I just like had a tear in my eyes and I was so happy. Um, and I remember like opening up my laptop and showing my buddies like, look, I got 3,200 in my account. It's happening. And then fast forward, maybe five months later, I had this epic day where I'm, I'm playing four or five tournaments at once now. And one tournament has 30,000 people in it. And I win it outright for 30 grand um, wow. off 10 bucks. That's your first big. big yeah, that's my first big one. But that day I also got second and third. So I had a day where that day I made $41,000. Um, and you're talking about a kid, you know, like I was a welfare kid, man. You're talking. I saw a kid one time at a gas station use his ATM card and get his receipt. And I remember seeing 600 bucks in his account. And I was like, this dude is rich. Like, this guy is so rich. That's how poor I was prior to this. Like, I rem- I vividly remember seeing um, seeing that $600 in that kid's account and being like, this dude is like an aristocrat. You know? Like, wow. And then, yeah. And then fast forward later, you know, um, because I, I, I've, this is kind of beating a dead horse, but just to give the audience um, like a feel for my situation, um, it was really, really wild. I, at eight years old, uh, my dad went to jail and I never saw my dad again. And I also, my, my mom, I have a half brother and my sister, uh, we were kind of like floating around, not knowing what to do. I think the church was kind of helping us stay above water while my dad was away. And we ended up staying. I, 
it feels weird to kind of call it homeless, but we were staying in a campground for a few months because we had nowhere else to be. And it was summertime and it was nice. So I don't know if you, you would call that homeless, but we were without a home. We were living in a tent and a campground. Right. Um, and then my mom ended up quickly finding another partner, I think mainly to get a roof over our head, even though it ended up becoming an, a pretty good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we moved out of that campground and we it, and we moved out to that farmhouse that I was telling you about mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then that's where I was raised. But you're talking about um, I had a medical card as a kid. Um, I We had no money. We were using food stamps to get our food. Um, and uh, my stepdad didn't finish the ninth grade. So he, he dropped out of school when he was 13 years old. Um, so it was like really, you know, it was a different situation to go from this. And I was like a caged beast. Like the one thing my dad was a like a special forces guy in, in uh, the military. Right. He was a hard ass. Yeah. You know? And and I got love like. Like, I remember one time we were at a roller skating rink. This is my stepdad, actually. Um, and this kid was being annoying to my stepdad. And he was like, Jason, kick that kid's ass. And I'm like 10. I skate over. I beat the kid up. And, like, I'm so proud of myself. Like, eh, I kicked his ass and we go home, you know? And, like, that was the stuff I got love for. Like, wow. so so I turned into this, like, meathead. Yeah. I was fighting everyone. I, like, had this hero complex where it was, like, like I wanted everyone to think, like, be afraid of me. And a lot of that was because of all of this, right? Mm. So then I, I transfer to uni and I'm around kids that are more rational thinkers, actually have good families. I went to a really nice school actually, given it was a Wesleyan school, it was a private school um, for university. And um, and this was the first time that I was actually exposed to logic and reasoning and also people having money. So mm. you give this kid 40 grand, you know, that was straight up welfare, like wildcat. You know what I'm doing? I go spend twenty thousand on a car. I'm renting, blowing out all the bars in my college town. We're renting them out. Like I think forty thousand's a million. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it didn't last long, but it was it was a it was a good first experience. How how, how being being like a welfare kid and being like not having the best sort of upbringing? How yeah. how do you get into a private school? Because over here, private schools are like for the sort of yeah. elite, the rich. And- yeah. So I was a state champion sprinter. Uh, and that was my gateway into the scholarship. Yeah. I got a scholarship. So, and I actually got academic scholarship too. I was, like I said, I was pretty good at school. I was pretty good at tests. So they, they managed to, um, give me enough financial aid to, to go to the school. Makes sense. Makes sense. Your, your Twitter bio says spent five years in college to work three weeks and quit. Yeah. What did you do for three weeks? Man, it was a trip. So, (laughs) um, so I, I get this MBA and I have a buddy who I really admire in college who goes up and starts selling group insurance. And he's like, buddy, we can make six figures a year, this and that. And um, he gets me an interview. I fly around all over the place and interview for this company and I get hired while I'm still in school, like finishing my last semester. Right. And I'm playing poker and and I can feel it like I'm grinding my bankroll up and I just love poker. But I'm like, this is insane. I can't like I've done all this work, got an MBA, got a finance degree to just like, hey, guys, I'm going to play Internet poker with like not a lot of money. Right. Yeah. Um, So I went to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I got this group insurance gig. And every day I had a couple experiences. But the first was even in the training, I was like falling asleep because they're talking about selling, like not hating on group insurance people. But for me, it was like watching the paint dry. Yeah. Um, And then my first week of training, we're going to meet this broker who 
So basically our job was to sell our product to these brokers and then these brokers would sell our product to all of these different corporations. Is that a bit Wolf of Wall Street type? No, it was it was more it was way more boring than that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because right. like right. we weren't selling scams, we were just selling like uh say you own a company and you want to give all your employees insurance, mm-hmm. we would sell that to you. Okay. That was it. Okay. Nothing to it. Yeah. Um but we were going to meet this broker and these people are talking so much trash about this broker. Like he's the worst, blah, blah, blah. And then we get there and they're hugging him and asking him about his kids. And I'm just like, nah, I, I can't do this. That sounds like a lot of YouTubers I know. Yeah. It, well, exactly. Yeah. So it was just, it was just that feeling inside that I had enough money. Now, mind you, I had like a hundred K uh, school debt because I ran up all these student loans and I had a surgery that wasn't covered by insurance for my track injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I have like a 8K bankroll because I blew all my money that I want on the internet. And uh, I have all this school debt that I walk in and we're doing a conference call. And they're like, Mr. Kuhn in Pittsburgh, can you tell me about this product? And I remember saying over the microphone of one of the VPs of the company, like, thank you for the opportunity, but this just isn't for me. And I, I hung up and I walked out. Wow. And that was it. Did- I didn't put in a two weeks notice. I didn't say shit. Just done. I didn't even say bye to my coworkers. <laughs> And I remember like I got in my car and I started driving out of this parking lot and I was like, damn, that was crazy, but I'm glad I did it. And the next day, I remember my phone's blown up. All my friends are like, bro, you're wasting like the biggest opportunity of your life. And I was like, I just, I don't care. Like, I don't care. I'm going to play poker. Did you, did you get any other jobs after that or did you just go that was straight it, for poker? Straight to poker. So Never it, got another job again. This is a fucking cool story. I love this. But, th- but at that point, did you think... Now I have to make it, or, yes. or 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 were you like, there's no way I don't make it? No, no, it was not a no way I don't make it scenario. <laughs> it was like, damn, like I. There are two things I know. Mm-hmm. I really like poker, and I really hated that. <laughs> like I, I really hated that. So I'm that was do, enough. That yeah. was it. That was all I knew. I didn't know I was going to make it. Mm. Um, but I started playing every day. And at this stage of my career, I was mentally a train wreck. So I would like break laptops. I would like get upset, like scream, you know, punch holes in the wall. I was a nut, man. And which is hilarious now because you'll watch. I can lose it, the biggest pot ever. And I might go, mm. you know, <laughs> Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Back then, I was like, ah. That's the difference, having a bit of money in the bank, mate. Yeah, a bit of money and yeah. a lot of a lot of work. Right, a lot of self-work, right. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, a bit of money in the bank helps, too, for sure. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. I saw, um, I, was, I, was, I was searching you up on YouTube, and I saw this, like, and, and we'll get into, like, how poker works in a minute, but just want to mention this specific thing where you do, like, this crazy fold. You're playing against somebody um you have ace there's two aces out oh yeah and then you know the other guy has the has the full house has the house yeah is, is is that something you have to learn like yes so well obviously it is it's a silly question <laughs> but like yeah. but how do you how do you learn to be that self-assured you're mm-hmm. folding that hand so poker is an insane game because it's so immensely complex that even say chess, they've made engines that play perfectly at chess. Mm-hmm. Now there are what are called solvers in poker where AI figure out specific spots and play them perfectly. But in person, poker is a game of extreme bias. Even at the greatest, the highest levels, the greatest players, they will be tired. They will be bored. They will be stressed out. They will have some idea of the way something works and from within that abstraction, you have to figure out 
very, very quickly, within a matter of seconds, like, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? How do they look? How do how am I perceived? And and understand the magnitude of the situation. There's so many different things that make a poker hand a poker hand. It could be the stakes, like as stakes go up, no matter who you are, if you haven't haven't played giant stakes before. So I undervalued experience in the beginning of my career. I was very arrogant. I was I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm I'm just more talented. Uh, these old guys, they just don't have what it takes. But I didn't realize the older guys are, have have stillness, have calmness at the high stakes, and the young guys are in there just trying to make something happen. Um, so now, I like one of my greatest assets is I've just played gigantic stakes for so long, and I've won at high stakes. So I, I'll look around in this final table I was at this week. I remember seeing some young talent there, but you could you could see that the pressure was weighing on them. It was pulling them down. Even though they have what it takes, mm. we're still human beings. You mm. know, we're not robots. So poker is beautiful because it's mechanical and mathematical, but it's also very artistic and very feely. It's, you know, we're all different. So in a decision, I can't tell you uh, one answer why I do what I do because there's just hundreds of different things coming at me at you once. You have to feel it in the, in the moment. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I first met you, I actually met you randomly at the World Series. I was lucky enough to be free rolled into that a few times. Yeah. And um, the first time, I ever played. It's the biggest poker tournament in the world, right? Yeah. And I'm sat on this table in the middle of Vegas, which is overwhelming me anyway. Yeah. And then you come and join the table. You come late because, of course, you can. You can turn up when you like. <laughs> and I'm so nervous. And you just come and you just stare into my soul. <laughs> and you're the loveliest guy ever. But it was so intense. Uh. And I was like, am I supposed to fucking stare, stare Did you back? know who he was? I did, right. So I didn't know, right? Um, I, at this point, I think I'd got, I, I'd started learning about poker two months before, right? It was mm. crazy. I shouldn't have been there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Jason's staring at me and I'm like, like, and, and I, you can tell he's American. So like, if it was an English, <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if it's an English guy, there might be a bit where I'm like, does he know who I am? Yeah, like, yeah. He, but I didn't get that familiar, yeah. familiar, what? Familiarity? Fam- yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I didn't get that, and you were staring at me, and I was like, "And but you had your 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 like GG poker mm. um, sign on, so I was like, okay, or already I know he's going to be a good player." And you had yeah. your initials on your arm, oh, yeah. so I go- I googled under <laughs> under the table, it's like GG poker JK, <laughs> and it came and it came up, and I was like, "Fucking hell!" And then people were coming up and asking for photos with you and mm. stuff. But could you could you when you sat down and you looked, yeah. could you tell straight away that I didn't have a clue what I was doing? No, I actually didn't. And once I figured out that that you were new, I was like, oh, I want him to be comfortable. So for me, at this stage of my career, it's not all about taking. Um, and, I, and I hope that you experience that. Because once I realized, oh, okay, you're, you're relatively new to the game, I wanted you to, rather than me kind of stare at you and make you nervous, I wanted you to have a good experience. Mm-hmm. Because I can still win. Yeah. And people have a good experience. And I think it's very important, not just like as an ambassador of the game, but as just someone who's played for a long time. I want you to leave that casino, even if you lose money, saying, man, that was a great experience. That's exactly what I said. Like from the, from, from when we started chatting, like that whole, your whole sort of presence changed and you were so warm and friendly and helped. Because do you remember me and my friend Chip, who's another YouTuber, oh, yeah, does Chip. another podcast, just happened to be on the same fucking table. Yeah. Well. I don't know how rare that is, but like. Very rare. <laughs> yeah, right. 6,000 people in this room. <laughs> <laughs> and Chip's on the same table. Yeah. And it's just like. I remember when we got split up because we got put on the feature table as well. Mm-hmm. This is like a fucking Hollywood film yeah, for me. Crazy. Uh, we got put on the feature table because obviously you're on the table, yeah. so they want to see what Jason Coon's doing. And um, 
when we got split up, I just remember being gutted and because we had such a lovely table. And I think you said something like, yeah, it might not get as good as that again today. Uh-huh. And the next table I went on, I had like the worst experience. There so you go. It was yeah. Like the two. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's something. So say you ended up being like a, a seasoned professional. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have been mean to you by any means, but I would have focused on things that I needed to do to make sure that I could play my best against you. Mm-hmm. But since I realized quickly that Chip and you were new players. I mm-hmm. said, you know, let's, let's, hey, make sure you put your chip on your card, protect your card so the dealer doesn't muck them. I, you know, kind of help you loosen up a little bit and have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a tournament like that, anyways, you're going to go through hundreds of tables if you happen to go the distance. So it's not, and there are eight, nine people at the table. So you don't have to focus on taking from one person. You mm-hmm. can, you can be laxed, you can have fun, everyone can enjoy themselves, and you can still play a strategy game. Right. So, that's that's what I think the optimal middle ground is. Yeah, you were great. Thanks for that. It yeah. really, really helped. Well, what's the first thing you think when you go to say the World Series? You you don't people know you. You don't know other people. So mm-hmm. what you sit down at the table? What are you analyzing? Um, so you have to make you have to stereotype, and you have to make a lot of assessments really really quickly. And sometimes it can end up burning you. But you just have to use your years and years of experience figuring out things like oh. Um, how do they handle their chips? How fast or how slow are they acting? What size did they bet and why? And then like really, so I know what an optimal strategy looks like. And from observing things, not just physical things, but actual strategy plays that a player makes, I'll really, really quickly realize if they're good or not, just based off of, oh, they missed an optimal bet size here. They missed an optimal race size here. So very, very quickly I can see, oh, this is a middle strength pro. This is an elite pro. This is an amateur, like wow. instantly. Just by, wow. yeah. So you give me two orbits at a table and I can tell you, you know, for the most part, once in a while there's a, a person getting lucky and just happen happening to find plays that look good, but they're not good players. Yeah. But almost never. Wow. I find that fascinating. Yeah. It's really cool. What would you say is that makes you a good player or a great player? Well, um, like I said, the game is immensely complex. So in at the core, you need to be you need to be a player who understands optimal strategy. So if I was trapped in a room with a bunch of bots, I would need to be able to play a strategy that would lose very little to them. And then from understanding that optimal strategy, and it's like this in every sport. So you could think about it in football, if that's your thing to think about. Mm-hmm. If you see what a team is doing weak, whoever sees the patterns the quickest wins the most. If you can, if you can set your opponent up to make a move, and you knew that they were going to make that move, you can capitalize on it. Yeah. So what makes poker players great is a solid fundamental understanding of the game and then an ability to adapt to your opponents. That is the greatest strength of a poker player, is adapting quicker than other people can adapt to you. It sounds a lot like chess, because chess players yes. tend to play a few plays ahead, don't yes. they? Yes, yeah. plays you're ahead and you're also, you're also baiting them. Yeah. So you're doing things to set up future decisions, make them fall into traps. What are some common mistakes that amateur players like Stevie and I would would make where you would go, that's just so rookie? So against like the most elite players, um, you don't want to talk during a hand. It's fine to talk at a table and be fun. But if you're talking and being uh, really loose with your words, I'm going to see things. I'm going to pick up things like you might not even notice it. It might be um, a change in your posture. It might be a change in your tone when a certain car card rolls out it might be the movement of your hand or how tight your your fingers are are clasping the cards it could be a million different things so the one thing that i would say is find a uniform like you can be loose at the table when you're not in a hand Mm -hmm. you know do whatever you want Mm -hmm. but find a uniform way 
to play a hand. And even if it feels kind of robotic and uncomfortable to you at first, it's a much safer bet than just kind of playing and not thinking about it because I'm going to see a million things. I'm going to be, oh, that they just hit that card. They, you know, they perked up. Something happened that signaled to me. You got to realize like a person who's played millions and millions of hands and hundreds or no, I would say, you know, at least 20,000 hours in a chair is just they're going to see things that you're you're um, oblivious that you're giving away. This is what fascinates me about it. Before I started playing poker, you hear about the term poker face and tells. Yes. And I I was a bit ignorant to it. I was a bit mm-hmm. like, that's got to be bullshit. Like, yeah. How can you just tell? But with, a couple of weeks ago, we had a guy called Darren Stanton on here. who's a body language expert. He works for like, police interrogations and stuff. We actually asked him about this and he said about how important it is. But like, I still can't wrap my head around. Like, Obviously, I'm not a professional poker player at all. Mm-hmm. But when I play with my friends, like and they're sh- shit they've mm-hmm. just started but i have no idea if they've got a good hand yeah. or a bad hand yeah it's just something like think about your craft and how refined you are at your craft it's the same for what i do you know it's and and i can sense things and feel things from even the best players sometimes if they're not on their a game you know because we're humans and i i give away things when i'm not on my a game you know so um that's a big one that's one thing that that's very important the other would be um, try to just learn a basic strategy of which sizes to bet and when to bet. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are things that could take a lot of time, but just follow, watch a lot of content and, and try to understand the why. So rather than learning a strategy, mm-hmm. understand why you do the strategy and then just go from there and try to create your own your own strategies. It's, it's thinking why is the most important part of poker. Well, the thing that really frustrates me about poker and the etiquette around it is i remember the second time i played the world series i um i hit a straight flush i think i texted you about it oh yeah i was like this is pretty cool it's crazy and i raised a really weird amount mm-hmm. like i just put in some chips sure and this guy looked at me and was like yeah. what's, what's that raise yeah like, but you're allowed to raise whatever you yes. like but yeah. then it's frowned upon. What's mm-hmm. that about? It's not frowned upon. Whenever a person says that to you, mm-hmm. they are insecure about themselves. It happens to all of us. And as we grow as poker players, see all these guys, poker creates an environment since there is a lot of luck involved in the short term where people point fingers and say how bad other players are and how unlucky they are. Right. So that guy's bad, but he's lucky and he won all the money. I'm good, but I'm unlucky. This dumb guy made a raise that I didn't like, so I'm gonna berate. <laughs> I'm gonna berate him about it. Right. If you ever play against a world class player who has their shit together, they're never gonna say something like that to you ever. So you don't take anything like that personally. Um, you can. What I would do if I were you is like after the hand was over, you could say nothing, or you could say, "Hey man, I'm a recreational poker player. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't pick the size that you thought I should pick. You know what I mean? Right. Like. Anytime people say things like that, it's their own insecurities. Because there's, there's um, slow rolling aces as well. Yeah, that's just, you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, that's you have the best hand and a person has risked all their chips. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, you're basically like, you know, you're going to win most of the time. Yeah. And you're being a dick about it. Oh, but, but, why, but why, though? Because the aim of the game is to beat the other player. Yeah, but you, if, so slow rolling in general means that you know you've already won. And you're just like being a dick to them. So is that when you know your hand can't be beaten pretty much? You Yeah, so you than... have no decision. Yeah. You've won the game, basically. And you're taking your time 
even though they've already the game is over, you're just kind of being, oh, that's what slow rolling is, not slow playing. Very, very different. So uh, sportsman, I, is a sportsmanship? Yeah, yeah, that's bad sportsmanship. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, so so I'm, slow playing. I miss. I'm getting the term. Yeah, wrong, the then. terms wrong. So slow rolling is a total dick move. Right. Slow playing can be a very good strategy. I'm talking like if say you have aces mm-hmm. and, and and you just another two aces come out on the flop. Sure. You've won and and you just check rather yeah. than bet. That's slow playing. That's a strategical move, which is good. You're feigning weakness when you're strong. Right. That's totally good. Slow rolling is you be, you basically kicking me in the balls. That's that's <laughs> where I've been going wrong. Yes. Are people, um, the, the amateur dramatics of it and sitting there and being like, oh, I'm not sure what I should do when they know what they should do. That's the, that's the dick move. No, that's fine. A slow roll would be, say we are on the last card. Yeah. There's no decisions left to be made. I've bet all in. You can't lose. You have the, uh, you have four of a kind aces. Yeah. And you're like this. <laughs> right. You yeah. wait five minutes. Yeah. You go. You go have a sandwich. You come back and then you call. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? You, you know? want anyway? Right. Yeah. That's okay. very different. Okay, that yeah. makes so much sense. <laughs> yes. I've been saying to people like, uh-huh. why are you not supposed to do this? Yeah. Ah. Um, you mentioned a second ago how important it can be to kind of notice people's tells when yes. you're playing in a game. How does that change the way you play if you're online? So online, it's um, a lot of timing. So believe it or not, especially if people are playing a lot of tables, they have to make decisions very quickly or their hands are going to be folded at the other tables. Well, you play on, loads of tables online, at the same time. Online, you can time. play 12 tables yeah, at once yeah, if you yeah. want. Yeah, but yeah. What, what you end up giving up is you have to snap act, right? So if you snap act every decision, but then one decision you take 35 seconds, there's something to be learned. Okay. There's something inconsistent. And that doesn't mean you're strong or weak, but if a smart player is observant and they see patterns, they'll say, oh, they took an extra four seconds here. The last three times they've taken an extra four seconds in the spot they were bluffing, call. You know, so um, a lot of it's timing based, but also, like I said, bet sizing strategy stuff that is more complicated and we probably shouldn't dive into because for the lay person that might be boring. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of it's just patterns when they bet, how they bet, how they act, how fast they act, those things. You don't necessarily very, need to see the person. You don't to need see to see all of those. No, things. and you'll have tons of tells online. On the. What is it called now? Um, the Hendon Mob website, the poker database. Thing. Yeah, you're the you're fifth in the all time money list. Yeah, right. And 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but that essentially means you've that's that is that tournament play, tournament winnings. Yes, tournament winnings. Yes. right. you're fifth um, with forty nine point eight million mm-hmm. as the time of recording. What keeps you motivated to keep playing poker? Well, it's a combination of things. It's still a very good living for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Every year that I earn more money, the value of me sitting at the table goes down a little bit for the for the money sense, but it's still a good living. Sorry, what do you mean by that? Um, so, you know, it's it's like an opportunity cost. So imagine if you had a billion dollars. Right. Would you still do your podcast? You might because you love it so much. Mm-hmm. But poker is so hard on you physically. Like I said, you know, I was up till four in the morning. Yeah. I'm a health nut. I don't like to do that. Mm-hmm. I like to get up and go to sleep at the same time every day. Mm-hmm. So I, there is a cost for me to play poker. Right. And every year that I get wealthier, mm-hmm. that cost effectively becomes more expensive because the dollars that I make are less valuable. Makes make. sense. Yeah. Makes sense. So that's kind of happening. So I'm being more selective with when I play because of, Wealth and also because of my family. Right. Um, I'm just at that stage of my life now where the competition stuff is really fun to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but being with my family is a lot more important. Of course. Of does, course. That, does that mean you have an amount in your head where you're thinking, I'm just not going to anymore? No, I'm, I'm already there for sure, um, which is, feels great to say, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's it's because we're 
I wouldn't say we're simple people by any means. We like nice stuff, but my wife and I, we have our, our hobbies that we do that our lifestyle won't change if I double my net worth now. And, um, so yeah, it's, we're safe. Our family's safe. Uh, we get to do what we want when we want and that's the, the greatest freedom. So I just want to stick to that and play when I really want to. That's amazing. And, 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 do you see yourself getting to number one on that all-time money list? No, because there are guys that are younger than me and who don't play for the financial freedom. They play because they're obsessed with the game and they love it. And I, I used to have that obsession, and I still really like to play, and I love to compete, and I love the environment. I like to feel the pressure. Um, but there's a guy like the the British fellow, Stephen Chidwick. Nobody loves it more than this guy. He's probably the best player in the world. And he's he, number four, isn't he? Yeah, we're like dead tied. Yeah. yeah. You're going to overtake him. Uh, well, no, he, he's one of my best friends in poker. We we're, <laughs> we, we we give each other strategy suggestions. Cool. And, yeah, bounce. And we push each other to be better. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy that travels everywhere with his family, plays every tournament, never stops. And he doesn't plan on stopping. Whereas with me, it's like, I know that I'm going to stop. So in terms of like all time winnings, he's going to be the guy. He's gonna he's gonna pass everybody and it's probably won't be close. When are you gonna stop? Well, I'll never stop playing full time. Like I have a game I play in San Francisco every Thursday. Um, I play with some friends in LA here and there. I like to play the occasional big tournament in my backyard, and I'll fly out to play a Triton because all my friends are here. The stakes are huge. It's fun. Uh, it moves the needle for me, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of. Um, <laughs> but so I'll never stop. But I'm already to the point where. I really want to just focus on my kids and my wife and and my health. Um, So I won't stop, but my volume is going to drop. I'm going to drop out of the top 10 probably in all-time earnings because I'll just be doing other things. But I'm going to stay sharp at poker. I really like it. I study every day. I'm obsessed with the game. I have all these little programs I use and, you know, all these databases I've built and spreadsheets and stuff. And I really like the theory of it. I like mentoring other players. Um, a couple of, of the guys that I mentor are also some of the top players. So I really like that element of it. You can mentor me for sure. Yeah. Have you like? <laughs> <We> got it. <laughs> were there moments where you were playing where it went from feeling like fun to just, oh, it's a job? Oh, all now. the time. All the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a weird gig because you lose a lot. You know, you lose commonly. Um, especially if you play tournaments, the usually in tournaments between 15 to 20% of the field makes the money. That means 80% of the field loses money that day. Um, so tournaments are weird. It's kind of like, you could think of it like, um, like venture capital, almost like you make a bunch of bets for one of those bets to hundred X or 50 X that happens when you win a poker tournament. Sometimes you'll win a hundred times your buy-in. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so you lose, 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 win big, lose, 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 win big. You know, that's kind of how poker attorneys go. It's a weird gig. So you have to sort of get battle hardened towards the losses. Yeah, you have to just accept them. That's right. Just kind of accept. Like, I I have this thing I always tell myself. Like, if I'm in a big final table, um, I want to pretend that I have more control than what I actually have. And I think that that's a good thing. I think that poker is a very rational game, but you need to be irrational in some sense of the things that you can accomplish. Because if you think about, oh, there are 100 people in this tournament, you know, if you're a break-even player, you're 100 to 1 to win the tournament. If you're a good player, let's say you're 60 to 1 to win the tournament. I don't want to think like that. I want to think, okay, I have a stack in this thing. Nobody's playing better than me today. I'm going to give this all I have, and I'm going to win this damn tournament. And even if that doesn't happen, I want to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that 
combining rational thoughts with your poker decisions to being irrational in your own self-confidence in some ways is a good thing. Um, but whenever I'm at a table in a high pressure situation, I just think to myself, Hey man, you're along for the ride. You know, like you're along for the ride. If I push all in and I get called and I have ace king and they flip over Queens and we're 50, 50, I just say, okay, you know, I'm along for the ride. This, whatever's going to happen here is going to happen. I can't make that run out be any different. So, um, do you ever get, do you see, don't get angry anymore. You've got that stillness that you were speaking. Yeah. I mean, like I get frustrated at times. Mm -hmm. Um, it it was my greatest weakness in the beginning and now it it isn't. I'm also like, I was really insecure. Like you were talking about in the the beginning, I would feel like, why does this person get to win? And I don't, which is, which is so toxic because what ends up happening is you'll play against this person and a totally standard thing will happen, but they'll win a pot against you. And now you're boiling inside. You're mm. thinking like, this guy, why does he get to be lucky? You know, this, he's not even good, this and that. And now you've taken three minutes of your time where you should be thinking about the strategy of the next hand and you're stewing about it. And you can see that some of the most talented players in the world, this stuff eats them up. Still, it's just so toxic. Mm. So the greatest players are like happy for other players. You know, you you let the, like you take a guy like Phil Ivey, mm-hmm. GOAT. Like just not just like the goat player because he's been crushing for 25 years. He's like a goat human being because he's gone through all these tough times and he's, he's come out of the other end, like enlightened and he's just happy for people. And, and he just is unfazed by the stakes. And, you know, if you get him in a pot, he's just like pays the bet and just kind of whatever. But all these things you're saying about him, I think obviously we, I don't know you too well, but they seem reflective of you as well. Yeah. So with me, I, my greatest strength, I think as a human being is I'm a chameleon. I, I, I look at people that I admire and since I didn't have a family really, and I didn't have mentorship, Mm -hmm. I've always kind of wanted that. I've craved that mentorship. So I look for people that are doing great things and I'm like, how are they doing that? Mm -hmm. I'm really inquisitive about it. I'm really curious. You'll hit them up on the AOL chat room. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I'm obsessed with trying to take that from Mm. them. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I've become like a really, really strong version I'm definitely one of the best poker players alive. There's no doubt about it. And I've done that from emulating like giants, you know. You mentioned these giants. You you mentioned Phil Ivey. Now, this is one of the me- when I when I first met you as I say I'd probably got into the game 2 months before and I met you and I was fascinated by you and I'd researched you and f- watched that video of that crazy fold and that is one of the main reasons I fell in love with poker so much mm. the characters in it as oh, well yeah. because if I've I've never personally understood wrestling my friend mm. Will Brazy is a huge wrestling fan and and I and I, I get why but I, I, I don't like the wrestling myself it's all about the characters and the stories mm-hmm. poker actually has that doesn't it oh, I never yeah. thought it would I was wondering if I can hit you with some names some big yep. names from the from from the uh, the game and we, you can give me a little opinion on them any oh. sort of anecdotes you have 100% love it so you mentioned him there we'll start with him we'll go for phil phil ivy phil ivy um so an amazing mystical creature of a human being this guy (laughs) like i think that i'm in the poker world i'm probably one of phil's closest friends at this point we we talk a lot we battled for years against each other uh when we were in asia we play against each other we play against each other on apps like there was a rivalry with me just battling one of my heroes in the beginning Mm -hmm. to just us becoming really, really good friends, but he's still an enigma and I probably know (laughs) him better than most because he just, he'll say like, he's just too cool. You know, like, yeah, like I, like one time I bust him in this tournament, you know, and there's three people left and I look down at my phone and I see Phil text me and I'm like, Oh, he's probably, 
texting me like good luck or something. Yeah. And I open my phone and it just says, finish your breakfast. You know? And I'm just like, how cool is this guy? And I finished my breakfast. I won that damn thing. I was just like, hell yeah. You know? But he's just that cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. like I'll tell you a hilarious Phil Ivy story. And I, I think, I don't even know if my wife's heard this story. Um, but this is a great story. I hope he doesn't mind me telling it. Um, so the first time I met him, we were in Australia playing a poker tournament. I was like 26 years old and I play with him all day. He's, he is crushing everyone, destroying me, just having his way with everyone. And, uh, we both run deep in this tournament. He final tables. It's like a thousand people. I get like maybe 30th and fast forward to LA, the next poker stop after that a couple weeks later. And I feel, feel a tap on my shoulder. And I look back and it's Phil Ivy. I'm like, Hey, Phil Ivy, you know, this is cool. <laughs> now, for people that don't watch poker, like this is this is Michael Jordan. Okay. This is Michael Jordan. This is Messi. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> tapping you on the shoulder. Okay. And uh and he said, he said, give me your phone number. I was like, oh, all right, sure, you know, whatever, man. And he texted me, he said, You want to go out tonight? And I was like, Yes, yes, I do. I want to go out. <laughs> so we go out all night. We're both single bachelors at the time. Mm. And, uh, this is so funny. Have a crazy night. Like he has this table at this place, celebrities with him everywhere. He's cooler than you think he would be. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he just disappears and I'm awkwardly like standing in this club with like all these famous people. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And I end up going home and the next day I'm talking to my buddies about it. And they're like, why did he like invite you out? Like, and I have no idea. And it's like on my mind for a couple of days. And I finally text him. I'm like, Hey, Phil, that was a blast going out with you. Like, like just out of curiosity, like, why did you invite me to come out with you? <laughs> yeah. And, and for the viewers, Phil's a black dude. And, and he texts me and he's like, well, to be honest, he's like, I needed a good looking white guy. So I didn't scare off all the white chicks. <laughs> 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 and I don't know if he's just kidding around, you know, but that was the response. So you get how funny this dude is. He's yeah. outrageously funny. Fuck it out. That's so, a great yeah, story. Yeah, it was great. Wow. I feel bad for anyone else on the list now because I've got to follow that. <laughs> oh, yeah. but, but this guy, right? So I, I, I don't know much about, about these guys, right? Okay. But one thing I do know is the first, the person we're about to mention, the first time that they, they ever came on my radar, me and Jason were on the feature table in Vegas. Yeah. This guy's on the, uh, on the feature feature. I think yeah. we're on like the B table, if you can call it that. And yeah. there's like an A table or uh -huh. whatever, or one and two. Yeah. And this guy's on there and... When it became clear that this guy was on the table, Jason stood up and was just just in awe of this guy. Yeah. So I was like, "Holy shit!" Like people yeah. are in awe of Jason. You, you know who I'm going to say? Yeah, Doyle. Yeah, yeah. So Doyle is—he uh, just passed away about three months ago, 89 years old. Um, he's the the godfather of poker. This guy was a road gambler in the 60s. Um, Just—I mean, he looked like an old dude when you see pictures of him in like the 70s. Mm. You know. <laughs> This is crazy. Years later. Yeah, bro. It's like, and then Doyle's like in the main event at 87 years old or however old it was. I ended up getting to play with him that main event, which was really, really fun. And I, I got to know Doyle prior to that through other, other, um, just acquaintances and just a, a true legend of the game. When you think about this guy was being held up by mobsters in games. He saw someone get shot in a poker game. Like you're talking like the stuff where you think about the dude sitting around the table smoking cigars and like 
the Hollywood, you know, the Hollywood version. Yeah, that was him. Mm. That was him the whole way up. So he paved the way for all of us guys. Like you, you talk about the movies that we saw to inspire us. He was the guy that inspired the movies made that inspired me. You know, <laughs> and he was still there doing it. And I actually got to play in a cash game with Doyle that same year. You're talking 87 years old. I'm 37. He was 50 years older than me. And we were playing a game that was like we both had five hundred thousand dollars sitting in front of us in a cash game, and he was in there battling. Like the dude's eighty-seven, playing <laughs> playing stakes that big and holding his own. Still sharp as amazing. Anything. Yeah, so sharp. Yeah, great storyteller, just amazing human being. I could feel the respect for him in that room. Yeah, I mean, for me, like he should—he's just an old guy in the mobility. Yeah, like, for sure. But is then, this like Pele, Maradona? Yeah, yeah it, it is. is. It yeah, is. so you got Phil Ivey's Messi, right? We're gonna put yeah. them all in soccer. Yeah, yeah. okay, right. cool. Phil Ivey's Messi, Doyle, Doyle Brunson. Stop probably... saying soccer; they're gonna yeah. hate you. No, no, yeah, but I'm <laughs> yeah, doing you can say Jason. football, bro. Okay. Totally, okay. I get it. <laughs> you heard me say football. I'm not saying soccer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, Doyle's Pele. Yeah. Okay. Um, Daniel Negrani. Me and me and Dean Eggs are really good buddies. Uh, we're both ambassadors for uh, GG Poker, and but but I've known Daniel for 15 years, um, and this guy is just the ultimate poker ambassador. He's kind of the opposite of me. Like I'm an ambassador for the game. I'm a fun guy to be around. You know, I'm going to be nice, but I want to go home. I don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. If you see me at a casino and I'm not at the table, I'm like head down, walking out. Mm-hmm. Daniel is probably the most famous poker player. And he will take pictures with every single person there every day. He will sign anything anyone puts up. He has unlimited patience. Like, I have patience for no one. You know, I'm not going to be mean, but I'm also like, get me out of here. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he just has so much energy. It's truly amazing. It's like he's one of the greatest gifts to the game. Love him or hate him. I love him. Yeah. Um, Is he quite divisive? Would you say? Well, yeah, well, he's very strong opinion, right. you know, and he's he's never afraid to just fire off. He'll fire off the hip. He's not afraid to tell you what you don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. He's really, um, yeah, he's totally fine being a polarizing guy. Right. You know, I think most people like him and respect him, but mm-hmm. but he'll battle. You right. Know? Um, but yeah, he's, he's he's named Kid Poker for a reason. He came in young, uh, just playing in a completely different style, way ahead of his time. Uh, just an incredible poker mind where he developed strategies that ended up once we saw artificial intelligence and the way that it played mm-hmm. he was doing a lot of the stuff like way before anybody else so like a true poker savant and still can hold his own in the game who are we going for then so so keen to uh, very p- people person someone who came in early someone came in early is is well respected can be divisive at times but has a Raheem lot. Sterling um came in as a youngster England don't know I'm trying to think of someone who's like a bigger. people person like with uh, the I'm struck by the line. Rashford Rashford Marcus Rashford. He's loved by a lot of people, but also he does a lot outside of football where a lot of fans are going, just focus on football. Stop the, trying the, to feed starving kids. The, the government, <laughs> Lovely person. The, the government stopped free school dinners for poor children and he campaigned and was like, and he, he got it overturned. So. He sounds like a boss. He's like, he's pretty fucking... But then a lot of fans are going, yeah, but now you're not playing football as well because you're trying to help starving children. You, so you can a, never win. It's, it's, it's a weird one. Yeah, you can never win. Who are we going? Phil Helmuth? Yeah. Okay, so Phil. <laughs> Phil is, is a buddy of mine also. We play in that, that home game I was telling you in San Francisco. He's always there. Now, Phil is a giant. I don't mean like a legendary poker player, which he also is. He's an actual giant. Is he? He's like 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, 280 pounds. He's wow. just a monster of a human being. People aren't stopping and, him in Milan and saying, no, you're no. shorter than I thought. <laughs> no, definitely not. And he, he's coined the name Poker Brat, and he's earned it. He, he doesn't care who you are. He's going to berate you at the poker table. He has these epic blow-ups. 
But once you realize he's a 56 year old child and <laughs> it's fine, you know, and I say that in a loving way, yeah. like, like he doesn't mean to be malicious. He just has no control over himself. And some people say, well, you're an adult. You should have yourself figured out. And I think they're probably right. But it's also how much fun is it having a guy around that's just going to go bonkers on some farmer who just like showed up to play like, you know, some dude just like got here. It's like a farmer from Ohio and he like loses a pot to a, an epic poker player of 30 years. And he's like, you're an idiot, man. What's wrong with you? You know, and the guy's like, sorry, you know, but um, I'll tell you a great homie story. First year I got to play with him in the World Series of Poker it was 2008 and he's incredible. So I played with him all day. He's exactly how you'd think he'd be like pushing his chips in the pot, all obnoxious and berating people or whatever. And um, we both make day two of the tournament. So the next day we're coming back and we're walking through the hallway and I see nine feet tall Phil Homie <laughs> coming along and he goes, hey, kid, turn around. I'm like, me? He's like, hey, kid. And I'm like, hey, Phil Homie. And he's like, I think you learned a lot playing with me yesterday. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> Zlatan, straight away, Ibrahimovic. That's so good. That's brilliant. We've got two more. Um, Doug Polk. So Doug's like my age, maybe a little younger, but kind of in this from the same school that I'm in. Kind of the grew up from the same boom, played online, found found his niche, which was heads up. So one verse one became probably the best heads up, no limit holding player in the world for quite some time, and then he became like a personality. You know, I'm still. Uh, epic poker talent, but he found he found uh, his passion is is in he's a really funny guy, and he found his his passion in doing a poker podcast and got uh, big presence online, isn't huge it? presence, yeah. yeah, and and he just has the right personality for it. He's that combination of like charisma, stirs the pot, is funny, pisses a bunch of people off, but also whenever he talks about a poker hand, it's going to be really really high level. I think a lot of pundits in poker like are way behind the times mm-hmm. and he's one of the few guys that can cross over and actually say some really high level stuff so it, it every every viewer gets something out of it heads up is a completely different game right it's that? a wild game yeah. yeah yeah it's in in some senses it's the most fun because uh if you have a short attention span and heads up you get to play 85 percent of the hands so you know you're just in every pot mm-hmm. so it can be really really fun but it's also um the edges are huge so mm-hmm. It's not a game if you're a really bad player. You wouldn't want to play for a lot of money against a really good player because mm. you're going to get buzz all. Right. Yeah. Doug Polk. Online presence. Because um, I was going to say Ben Foster, but then Doug pisses people off and Ben's the loveliest player. Oh, uh, okay. Who are we going for? I don't know. Um, Maybe maybe like a Neymar. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Also a poker player, Neymar. He is. Yeah. Yeah. I see him all the time. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, I see him at the World Series every year. A lot of people love him. He's, he's boys with a bunch of the Brazilians. It's funny to hear uh, you say that he pisses people off because everyone I know has ever interacted with him is like he's the most lovely guy. Yeah, I'm talking from like, I've, 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 football I've never, fans. Yeah, I've never met him. Yeah. Like he, there's like um, he seems he, to flop a lot. That's it. People say that he dives. Yeah, and stuff and yeah, buys well, fouls and stuff. I, well, well, very limited soccer, but every time I watch him play, he's flopping. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what pisses people yeah, off. But I get it. The, the the final the final name, Stu Unger. Am I Stu pronouncing Unger. that right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, so the original kid. Um, Stu is, uh, we lost him uh, before I came into poker. I believe he, you you have to check, but I believe he died in the late 90s. Uh, he had a severe drug addiction, but he was kind of like a, a Bobby Fischer-esque character. I don't know if you know who that is from chess. He was like the like the boy prodigy 
um, ultimate poker player. It, it, apparently, every single game he could sit and learn and smash everyone at. Like he just unlimited potential, unlimited horsepower, but didn't have discipline and had the demons, and the demons ended up getting him. like a party a party guy. Loved the Vegas lifestyle. Yeah, just wasted talent. Like I think he died in like a cheap motel somewhere in Vegas of a drug overdose. And you're talking about a guy who won millions not just in poker tournaments, but like it's estimated. I heard some crazy stat. It was estimated that he won like $20 million playing cash games. So not in tournaments in the eighties, you know? Oh, wow. So what that would be. Yeah. yeah. Now. Big, big money. Yeah. Going- and just, yeah, but he couldn't escape his demons. And I've, I've read stories on online. It's probably best not to compare him, I guess, no. but I've read, I've read stories online that he would like be on the, and I don't know how true this is, but he'd be like on the Vegas strip and he'd want to get from one side to the other. And he would just give the taxi driver like five thousand dollars. Wow! Take me up. Oh yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, it sounds like a football's version of George Best, doesn't it? Or Gaza. Or Gaza. Yeah. Gaza. Yeah. Yeah. Lot Got of a flair. Lot has yeah. his demons. Oh, he's loved and has a lot of flair and. Yeah, well, he seemed like a like a. Uh, one of the parts that made him in, incredible to observe was he seemed to have no ego really. Like he didn't want to be known. He just wanted to play. He was just. He was just a gambler, a mm-hmm. poker player, yeah, and one of the greatest to ever do it. And you know how it is when you lose a freak prodigy like that at a young age. Everyone just sits around and wonders what could have been. You know? mm. Yeah, we've named a lot of people there that our listeners might not necessarily know. Yes, we've got someone here that they might know. Someone who burst onto the online scene as someone who states to be a very good poker player, Dan Bilzerian. So Dan, I. I I know Dan. I don't know him very well. I played or I went to one game that he had his house and it was as advertised. It was ridiculous. I remember standing there like, I yeah, like you just say it as advertised. <laughs> yeah. And we know exactly. What yeah. You're oh, yeah exactly. And I, and I'm putting myself where I was in the scene because I remember like I had to be the worst guy at the party. So there was a party where, you know, there's all these women, there's too many women, which is weird. <laughs> like, no, there is. Which is weird. Bro, it's like there's just too many of them. And, like, I'm standing there, and I'm talking to one of these girls, and, like, you know, and she's asking me, like, the typical, like, you know, what do you do? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And I just remember, I was so curious. I didn't mean to be a dick, but I was like, why do you come to these? <laughs> you know, right. she seemed, like, smart and reasonable. Yeah. And she just walked away. <laughs> um, like, but, yeah, I mean, Dan's, like, definitely has won a lot of money at poker. Like, I don't think he plays much anymore, but the, there may be some exaggerations in there. But I know for a fact the dude has won millions upon millions against a few opponents. So, uh, poker is one of those games where you can be the best player in the world and sit around and play the other five best players in the world and barely make any money. Or you can be the thousandth best player or worse, but as long as you're playing everybody that is way worse than you, you can make a great living. And how do you compare who the greatest poker player is? Do you compare it by who has the most money in the bank at the end of the day from what they won? It's a tough one. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. Cool. What's, the, what's, the, what's the craziest game you've ever been involved in? I've been in some insane games insane have you got time oh yeah are are we talking in terms of like money and hands or are we talking in terms of experiences whatever okay so i'm gonna tell you guys i've told this story before but this i think that this story paints how crazy so you're talking about a dude i played internet poker i go to vegas with my buddies and then a good friend of mine says hey you have to come to macau which is this little island off the coast of hong kong and he's like this is like the vegas boom times times a thousand you have to come here. The games are softer and they're way bigger. 
than than American games. When you say softer, do you mean the people playing aren't as skilled? Aren't as skilled and the stakes are higher. So you're just, your hourly rate is astronomical, Right. right? So I go to this game. I'm not very good at the time. I'm good enough to win in the game. And the game's very, very big for me. Um, but I'm playing with a fellow who says, hey, there's a game in, in Manila right now in the Philippines that is the softest game you ever play in, and it's huge. He says, do you want to come play? And the guy was a trustworthy guy. I asked a couple other people. They said, yeah, yeah, um, you can you can trust him. So I get on this plane. I, I've never been in the Philippines. I fly to the Philippines with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Um, we get picked up in an armored car, and we're driving down the street, and there's like, you know, just the streets are just ridden with homeless people. It looks crazy. We pull into this mega casino. Um, and a guy comes out and he asks for our passports, takes our passports, run all our stuff through a scanner, and then they're like, Um, your 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 name is under uh Mr. Yong. So I check in as Mr. Yong into this casino I've never been with armed guards, and I'm just like, What is happening right now? And they, they, I get a text on my WhatsApp and it says at midnight or so, the boss will text you when he's ready to play. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, I guess I, I just play poker. I didn't, you know, just tell me. So I wait around, it's like two in the morning and I get a text and I'm told that this game is going to be a certain stake that was already five times too big for me to be playing. So I texted a couple of my buddies that had more money than me at the time. And I said, Hey, you had this percent of me in the game. Uh, you know, whatever. And and so I end up and I'm still taking a shot at the game. So I'm told that the game is going to be really, really good. Are we allowed to know the stake or is that not something? Well, yeah, I I can tell you the roughly the stakes like were supposed to be, um, they were supposed to be 5,000, 10,000 Hong Kong. So it was supposed to be like a 600, uh, 1200 game. Yeah. U.S. So minimum buy-in is like 120,000 U.S. per chips. And now this is over 10 or about 10 years ago. And I'm told this game is going to be soft. And I walk in and I sit down and the first person I see sitting at the table is Phil Ivey. And this is, I'm not who I am today. Had you, had you met Phil? Yeah, I knew him, but, you know, yeah. but like still, like I was told this is going to be a, like a wicked soft game. Mm-hmm. And there's two dealers sitting side by side, which is very weird. <laughs> um, so they don't have shuffle machines. They just have two dealers, one shuffling and they want the cards as fast as they can. So in come the bosses, the VIPs, which you would call like the losing uh, Asian players who like are they were down partying they're all smoking the room's filled with smoke there's women everywhere very weird experience two dealers whipping out cards and they bring out the chips and they hand me the chips and the chips don't have numbers on them and I'm like all right hey what are these what do these chips mean and they tell me the numbers and I'm like oh we're playing you know uh, why do we have so many chips in front of us I thought we were playing five thousand ten thousand and they're like no we're playing twenty thousand forty thousand. So we're actually playing about a $5,000 big blind, minimum buying half a million dollars. And so I can't text my buddies in time. I end up having like a piece way too big of myself. Okay, way, way too big of myself. Fast forward a few hours later, I'm running hot. I have all these chips in front of me in this VIP character um, who I won't name, but he's very animated. He's smoking like three cigarettes at once. He's like screaming at the boards. Um, what is he a celebrity? Is he a, uh, no, no, he's not a celebrity, but it's just, he's, yeah. you know, he's, he's a player who I, I just don't want okay. to say his name. Yeah. Um, but we end up in a, in a situation where the game has, has four X in size from what it started at because he wants the stakes to be bigger because he's down money. And when they want to keep pushing, pressing their bets when they get stuck money and you're just kind of 
at their will, you have to play whatever they want because the game is formed around them. So not only am I in a game that started four times too big for me, now it's even bigger. I have all these chips in front of me. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm shitting myself. I'm like, I have way, this is the most degenerate situation in my whole life. And I'm dealt two kings, okay? And I end up, like me and this other guy end up getting all in on a board of 10-8-7. And he ends up having 10-8. And so I'm all in for like an ungodly amount of money for me at the time. And in America and other places, sometimes what you'll do is you'll run the board out two times. And what that does is it reduces the variance a little bit. So say you and I are 50-50. If we run it out once, one of us is going to scoop the pot. But if we run it out twice, usually we'll chop the pot. What does that mean, running it out? So, so, so say you and I get all, get all in on the flop. Yeah. Sometimes the dealer will run the turn in the river two times. And then you'll split the pot. Or you'll scoop the pot, but say you win the first run out, I win the second run out, right. we'll chop it. Okay. So it just reduces the swings of the game a okay, little bit. Okay, got you. Asia, they don't do that. They want high swings, right? Right. So, but what they do is they sell insurance. So this guy gets all in against me and he's in front and he's over here paying a VIG. What this means is if I suck out on him, he'll get some, the house will pay him some of the money back. So he's buying insurance. And I'm sitting there telling myself like, all right, man, like I'm, I'm about 20% to win this hand. And I'm telling myself, you got to be like a man about this. You got to tap the table. You got to just get up and walk away. Like I'm spinning, you know, I'm going to lose this pot. That's worth some ungodly number into the millions. And, um, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty low stakes player at this point in my life. And I degend off a big piece of my bankroll. Um, and, and I end up like getting to the last card to the river and, who's now my good friend, Paul Fua, who's like the most legendary Asian gambler of all times, one billions gambling. Um, he looks at me. I don't know him very well at the time. And he says, do you want to sweat the river card? And what that means is, is the dealer throws me the card rather than just turns it over. And I get to look at my fate in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> so, so bro, you want to talk about the most degenerate shit ever. So this is the first time, like, like I've never done crack or heroin. But I kind of imagine this is what it's like right before oh. you rip that needle into your veins, you know, because I'm like spinning and I'm like, all right, I'm about to lose like the biggest pot I've ever played times 10. And I have to go back and tell Bianca that like this happened and she's going to say like, what, the f-? you know? And uh, so so he says, do you want to sweat the river card? And I go, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. And I'm spinning and Ivy hasn't said a damn word for four hours. He takes off his headphones. He's like. Like looking at my face, everybody there wants to see the pain or the joy that's yeah. about to happen, right? So the dealer throws me the river card and I start to sweat it. And they're like, you're not sweating it right because I'm, they play Baccarat. And, you know, they sweat cards really specifically. And I'm like, with all due respect, I'm going to look at this card the way I want to look. At it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I end up sucking out for like an enormous pot. And that's how lucky I am. That's like, you but know, you hit a king. I, well, I actually ended up backdooring a flush. So there were two diamonds on the flop. And I had king of diamonds, king, and it went diamond, diamond. Oh. Um, yeah. And I sucked out for some, and I'm like, just like sitting there like, oh my God. What was the pot? What just happened? It was huge, man. I, I can't remember the amount, but it was, for me at the time, it was. Millions. Yeah. It was probably like eight times bigger than any pot. I played bigger pots since, but at that time it was a life, life changing experience. I mean, I would have been fine if I lost the pot, but it would have definitely been a drop stakes type situation and rebuild. How did the other uh, guy react? He was like, ayya, and he was saying like, chani ma, which means fuck your mother in Chinese. <laughs> chani ma, you know, he was saying. So, so um, yeah, and cigarette smoke and everywhere. And, oh. and I'm just sitting there like, holy shit, you know. Wow. But yeah, that was a, 
There's a crazy gambling story. It sounds like a movie. Bro, I mean, it happened. The middle of Manila, the <laughs> Philippines, just like I'd never been there. Start playing two in the morning. We play 30-hour sessions. It was crazy. And Phil Ivy just there, just to Ivy have a little bit of flavor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ivy was there. He wow. sure was. What's, what's, the, what's the craziest hand you've ever seen in terms of probability and stuff like that? I mean, I've seen them all. Right. You know? I've literally, you think of it like I've seen them all because I've played millions upon millions of hands. I've seen, I've seen pots. I've never played a pot over $10 million, but I've witnessed a couple hands over $10 million in cash wow. games. Um, uh, I saw this, this is okay. Last poker story. Yeah. Bobby Boblin, who's a legendary hall of fame gambler. Um, won like the world series of poker main event in the seventies. He tells this story where he says they're playing stud. You want to talk about seeing something crazy at a poker table. What's stud? So it's a, it's a game. It's just a different kind of poker game. It's okay. like an old school, like cowboy poker game. Okay. It's a limit game. Right. right? Doyle have been playing it. Yeah, 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 for sure. So they're in this big pot and they're betting and raising and they get to the last street of the game and this old guy, you know, bets and gets raised and he just kills over dead at the table. Just face plants, just face plants in his chips. And they're like, and these gamblers are so sick. They're like, hey, there's a lot of money in the pot. Like, like, what do we do here? Who wins the pot? And so they call the floor and the floor call, calls, comes over and he said, the guy's dead. The hand's dead. Chop the pot. They just chopped the pot with some dude laying dead at the table. <laughs> what? Wow. That's some cowboy shit. I never, <laughs> seen, I never seen anything like that, but that apparently happened. Poker is just a different world. Poker's crazy, bro. It's a different world. It's crazy. I love it. Yeah. I love Vegas. I love poker. <laughs> it's fun, man. I love that vintage, <laughs> that vintage cowboy story, wild road gambler. Because Vegas is very cowboy. People don't really think about Vegas, but that way, but it's really kind of like Texas, you know. Right. It's a bunch of Oklahoma, Texas road gamblers made their way through the desert and and set up shop and started gambling. I mean, them and mobsters, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, it was the mafia that created the yeah. created Vegas. Yeah, right? Bugsy Siegel. Yeah. Wow. Blimey, God, Jason, it's been such an ep, mate. It's yeah, it's been great, great hanging out. Do you th- do you think we'll ever see you win the main event? Uh, no, I mean, I'm going to try. I've been deep. I was deep day five this year, day five another year, I think. Where year, did you finish the, the year that I played? 196th, so really deep. Um, wow. But, but to that, win it is just, I mean, I like my chances to make several more deep runs if I play. Mm-hmm. Um, that that tournament favors very strong players getting deep because you have so much time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's hard to win a tournament with 10,000 people in it, man. Is 196 your highest finish? Yeah. How far do you have to get to profit? And like, is it like fifteen hundredth or something? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's people who don't know about poker. They might hear that Jason's highest finish is one hundred ninety fifth, one hundred ninety sixth. Yeah, there are eight thousand people in it. <laughs> yeah, <it's eight. laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. What's next for you, Jason? Um, so I'm gonna finish playing this Triton series. I have a sixty thousand dollar tournament today, and then um, a few big ones. I actually have a couple friends at the final table of, of a big tournament, so I'm gonna go watch them. And then on Friday, I'm flying back home to be with my family. We're going to go up in the mountains for a few weeks and and just chill. Amazing. Nice, boring month in front of me. Where can our listeners who might not follow you at the moment go and find you online? So I'm not, I'm not really much of a social media presence. I, I do have a Twitter. Uh, it's just my name and an Instagram. That's kind of like I post poker stuff, but it's more like just for my friends and family. I haven't made any effort to to grow my following or anything. But if you just want to watch kind of a 
like a boring poker dad who occasionally plays some gigantic stakes, <laughs> uh, you can follow me just at my name, Jason Kuhn, on either one of those. But we're not going to see any Instagram stories of you killing bees with a with no, a with the, with the uh, <laughs> power washer. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to say it. it's been one of my favorite ever episodes. Um, oh, Jason, man. you're Thank a delight, you. mate. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks this has been Jack Mate's Happy Hour podcast with me, Jack Mate, Stevie White, and the main man, Jason Kuhn. Jason, we always finish with the same question. We like to put our guests on the spot. Let's go. What's the meaning of life? The meaning of life, I think, uh, to me, it would be have a full heart, um, wake up with a weightless mind and a lot of love in your house, and uh, repeat that, you know, feel childlike. That, that's my goal. Great answer. See you next week, guys. May. That was unreal. Jack Mate's Happy Hour. Oh, I'm glad you guys liked it. I had fun, oh, fun hanging out.